Good morning, God's wonderful people. We are at the beginning of a new day, a new dawn, a new point in your life when you can create something tremendous, something great, not yesterday. Sometimes we desire to create yesterday or even yesteryear. But what we need to do is to envision the possibilities of what God has created us to become. And so conceive a vision of something you have never done before. Let today be the dawn of a new beginning in your life by conceiving something you have never yet done. Set it as a goal, strive for it as a mission, and accomplish it as a dream. And you will see the tremendous thing that God can accomplish through you only if you can only dream. Dream, my friend, because it is in dreaming that you do see your true potential when you begin to enjoy the fruits of that dream. Today we continue our study on the warrior's identity and we are looking in the book of Genesis. We will particularly focus on chapter 1 and we will specifically focus on verses 26 to verse 31. So we are looking at the context of our text. So we are taking a look, uh, a brief look nonetheless, on the book of Genesis. We have taken some time to analyze the title of the book to the intent of showing a principle that permeates the five books, the first five books of the Bible, referred to as the Pentateuch. They are written by Moses. And when we understand the context of our text, then we can more understand the truth of our text. And so we take time out to analyze the context so that we can really understand the truth that is in our text. So context is very important, and we must understand this before we can truly understand the message. You see, we are far removed from the message of the scriptures in terms of the time when it's given, when it was given. We are living a couple thousand years later. And so therefore, we have to do some work to understand the context of when the message was given and so understand how we can apply it to our present day life. And so this is why we spend so much time going through the context of our text. Because that is how important it is. Genesis is what we are looking at right now as a book. And Genesis is a very tremendous book. It's filled with everything we need to know about life. If you want to know how to care for your body, look for it in Genesis. If you want to know how to care for your family, it's right there in Genesis. If you want to know the truth about this world, where it's going, where it has been, and, and what's coming next, you can find that in Genesis. The, tr the trouble is, it's in Genesis, because Genesis is like a seed. And if we understand the principle of a seed, we can understand a lot of the things that are in Genesis. You see, the principle of the seed is that when you plant a mango seed, it goes in the ground, dies, and a shrub comes up, a little tender plant comes up. A couple of years later, you might find a, a, a small tree, and then maybe another couple, I mean, another year or so, a couple of months or a year or so, you have a nice looking mango tree bearing fruits on it. And it all began with a seed. All of what you're looking at, this mango tree with all the fruits on it, that was all contained in one seed. So if you are able to analyze that seed, and if you are able to 
dissect it and analyze it and see the coding in that seed, you'll discover the kind of mango that is there. It is in the seed. The type of leaf it would put on, it is in the seed. The kind of mangoes that would be there, that's in the seed. The coloring of the skin of the mango, all that is coded in the seed. Everything about that mango tree and its fruit that it has on now was all coded inside that seed. It's the same thing with Genesis. In Genesis is the message of the Bible. It's encoded there. Some of it is encoded deeply. Some of it is encoded in, in, in the surface information. Some of it is easy to see. Some of it you have to have speci specialities to be able to identify some of these coding. However, it's all there. And if you want to flesh out these truths, it would take and require of you to lean on the Holy Spirit to bring out these truths that are in Genesis. So when you're reading the book of Genesis, know that the very seed from which it all began is that first letter. In that first letter, if you're able to dissect that letter and understand it, you'll see everything about the Bible in that one letter. Because that letter is the seed of everything. And in the same way, the first verse is a seed also. And so the chapter one is also a seed. And Genesis itself is a seed to life. And everything there is about life. You know, when God said that he declares the end from the beginning. Most times, you see, originally I used to understand that to mean God distinguishes the beginning from the end. You know, as a means of distinguishing it. But I later found out and later realized that when God spoke that word, he was not talking about the end different from the beginning. You see, God declares the end from the beginning. It shows you a pattern in how God operates. You see, we see this manifested in the very first part portion of Genesis where God says, let there be light. You see, before there was light, God declared that there was light. He declares the end from the beginning. When he, when he took steps to create the, the plants and the animals, he says, let the earth bring forth seed-bearing trees and herbs, fruits in it. He declared that. He says, let them, let them do this, let them do that. He declares that. And then he says, then God made. So he declares it, then he made it, and then he saw it. It shows you a pattern of how God operates. So when God says he declares the end from the beginning, he is showing you the end of all things from the very beginning. So therefore, this is also telling you that in Genesis, the end is already declared. So again, giving allusion to the fact that everything there is to know is in Genesis, in the beginning. So my friends... Everything we want to know is in Genesis. That's how tremendous this book is. And if we are going to understand much about life, we have to understand life in the context of Genesis. Because that's where life is actually defined. And all things that concerns you is stated there. The devil don't want us to know these truths because if we know this truth, he can't play football with our life. And that's why he wants to keep us from knowing this truth. But I tell you, my friends, learn this truth and you'll play ball like a true champion. Now, understand this now, my friends. Genesis is a book that has been defined, or I should say outlined by many, according to the events of the book and according to the stories. And so some persons would have divided Genesis into two. So from chapters 1 to chapter 11, they, they, they focus on the event, what they refer to as the primeval history or the primal period. Now, 
I and and then they would go from chapter twelve to the end, chapter fifty, to talk about the patriarchs and the stories of of um of of Genesis. But that, my friend, is a subjective way to look at the book of Genesis, because when you it, it, the, the fact is you can you can you can outline Genesis any way you choose by 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 reading it, and you might by based on what you see. You can outline Genesis based on what you understand from it and what you see in it. But that outline is going to be subjective. It's going to be subject to you. But if you want to really understand and see this, the, the outline and the nature, the natural flow of the information in Genesis, you are going to have to learn to identify the natural divisions of the book and how, and, and how it flows, how the message flows. If you can see and identify how the author divides the book, or the author outlines his message, then you'll be giving an objective outline of the book. And so we have to first identify how the author presents his message and how he packages that message. Because every author packages his message in a certain way, following a particular outline. So if you can identify this outline, it will lead us to identify the how the author flows in his message. So let's see if we can identify the flow of the message of Genesis or the flow of all these messages presented in Genesis. To do this, you have to really take time out to dig and read and observe. Having a, an observing eye will help you to see this message and how it breaks. One of the things you will pick up on if you read the, Gen the book of Genesis and pay attention you'll begin to see a statement that says, these are the generations of. Now, when you see that statement, it will call your attention to certain things because the first place you see it is in Genesis 2 verse 4. It says, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth. There are a total of 11 times, this, uh, 10 times rather, this statement is used. We, we, we tend to say 11, but the 11th one is not really the same statement. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. So, in essence, there are 10 times this particular statement is used in the book of Genesis. These are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of the sons of Noah. These are the generations of Shem. These are the generations of Terah. These are the generations of Ishmael. These are the generations of Isaac. These are the generations of Esau. These are the generations of Jacob. Though, and, and these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom, rather. Right, so those are the ten times that these, this statement is used in the book of Genesis. Now, this is going to call attention to something. If it doesn't call your attention to, to it, then you are reading too fast, my friends. But this is going to call your attention to something. Because when you analyze these 10 statements, you discover something very remarkable. It is these statements that make it obvious that the author has an intent. Because in each of these generation statements that are given, we see a particular trend and flow. So what we see is that the author says, these are the, genera these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Then next we see him in chapter 6, verse 9. He says, these are the generations of Noah. right? And he tells the son, the name of the sons of Noah, Shem, Am, and Japheth. Then he says, these are the generations of Shem, Am, and Japheth. But then the author goes and isolates one of those sons of Noah. And he says, these are the generations of Shem. But wait, when he gave the previous 
1 in chapter 10 verse, verse 1 where it said these are the generations of the sons of Noah. It did specify there the sons of Shem, Ham and Japheth according to their generations and according to their families. It's in verse 32. It says these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations and by these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So every nation on the earth came from these three sons. We're all family, my friends. We are all family. We're all cousins. We all came from three brothers. And that's what it says here. And so what we see is that it gives you the genealogical record of these three sons of Noah. But then he goes back in chapter 11, verse 10, and he says, these are the generations of Shem. So he picks out Shem and gives you his generation. Then he gives you all the sons of Shem. But then he picks out one particular descendant of Shem, Terah. And he says, these are the generations of Terah. After giving you all the, the generations of Terah, the sons of Terah, he follows the line of one and give you the story there. So what you'll discover is that the author is literally telling you how the nations began, but he's fo focusing on a particular genealogical line. And he follows that line coming all the way down to, Jake, to Joseph. Because his intent is to isolate a particular line. As you look through these genealogical records or these Toledot statements or what we call these statements of the generation, they are specifically called the Toledot statements, 10 of them. And so as you look through them, you'll discover the author's intent because this is how he devises his book. It starts by telling you these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Now, some persons think that, that Genesis is concerned with creation. Of course it is. Creation is like the primary if you, if you miss the creation story, you don't understand nothing else about Genesis. So we understand that creation is the seed. But out of that seed came a tree. And out of that tree came many other seeds that produced many other trees. And produced the orchid we call earth today. Or the nations of the earth. This orchard that we call the earth. Filled with all sorts of genealogies and families. Now my friends... The number 10 is a significant number in Genesis, you know. And not, let me not say Genesis, but it's a significant number overall. And we see this number featuring prominently in all the books of the Bible. But in Genesis, we see here 10 genealogical records. And we, we are going to see other places where this 10 comes out as well. We see it coming out in, in Exodus with the, with the 10 commandments. We see it coming out in other places of the Bible as well with the 10 plagues upon Egypt. 10 is a number that signifies ordinal perfection it means that a particular order has come to an a completion a particular way this, this shines forth and you look at all of these list of tens you see a sense of completeness in them in exodus where we have these 10 plagues we see god literally going and destroying all these different gods and and, and idols that egypt worshipped all of those 10 plagues was a direct attack on the religion of Egypt and the different gods that they worship. Strategic and specific. When God was done, that attack and that dismantling was complete. It's a dismantling of the religion of Egypt and their different idols that they worship, their gods. This 10 genealogical statements that we have in Genesis is also a complete record. It's a complete record of the nations of the earth. Complete. 
So in these 10 statements, we can trace every nation on the face of the earth straight back to these 10 statements here. They all have the beginning here. These 10 statements is a complete record of history and of life. That's what Genesis is declaring to us here in these 10 statements. So these 10 Toledot statements form the structure of Genesis. If you are going to make an outline of Genesis and ignore these 10 Toledot statements, you are going to end up with a subjective outline. But if you want to give an objective outline of the book of Genesis, you have to acknowledge these 10 Toledot statements because this is how the author divides this book. It is not foreign to, to, the, book, to the writings of Moses. Every book that Moses writes has a pattern of how he breaks it down and how he presents it. When you come to Exodus, you don't have a statement that repeats itself. You have rather things that are exclusive to certain sections. For example, from chapters 1 down to chapter 19, we see mention of the wilderness. The wilderness. And after chapter 19, you don't have any mention of the wilderness in Exodus ever again. Something significant. Now, in chapters 25 down to the end of Exodus, you have there it talks about tabernacle. You don't, don't find the name of the tabernacle mentioned before chapter 25 any at all. It's only from chapter 25 to the end that you have the tabernacle being featured and mentioned and talked about. So from chapter 19 to chapters 24, what is in that section? We see when you read that section, you see it talks about how God took Moses up, in, up on the hill to give him the law, to talk with him and to give him the law. So that section, even though you don't find the actual term law being mentioned more than one time there in that section, what you see, it talks about these judgments. It specifically stated that in chapter 21. These are the judgments. So there it tells you specifically what this section is about. But what you will not discover is that by looking at these, the wilderness and judgment, you'll, you'll naturally see how the book divides and how the book is structured. You will not make an outline of Exodus without acknowledging this. It is not going to be an objective outline. It's going to be subjective, meaning, meaning that it's going to be based on what you see and your observation, which is basically how most studies are done. But I like to see the natural division of the book. I want to see how it divides based on how the author divides it. So I, I, I want to allow the text to show it for it, its division and not me going there and dividing it as how I observe it. No, I don't like it that way. Personally, I don't. But sometimes I use those to help me to see the book in certain different lights and how it is seen by others. Because sometimes that shows you things that you don't see in and of yourself. And so I lean on others' outline to basically see if I can draw on more things from the book and how others see it and learn from how they see it. So I use outlines from others to do that. So in no way... Am I saying that subjective outlines are not good? They are very beneficial. All right? They are very beneficial. So they have their purpose. But I like to start from looking in the text and see how the text breaks up its, its, itself and, and show forth its message. So here in Genesis, that's how Genesis is actually structured. So you can't go and ignore these. It is an analysis of these 10 Toledot statements that makes me see how the author was identifying and highlighting certain individuals. All right, This is why we have the statement called the patriarchs. The patriarchs are actually Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Joseph is featured, 
But you have to understand that as you look at these statements, you have to understand that each individual that he mentions, he mentions them and focuses the story of that individual's life. So when you come to chapter 37, he says, these are the generations of Jacob. But then he says, Joseph being 17 years old was feeding the flock. So right where he tells you that this is the generation of, of Jacob, he doesn't talk anything about the other sons of Jacob. He goes right to talk about Joseph because Joseph is the prime son of Jacob. Just as so he says, these are the generation of Terah. And then he goes right on to talk about Abraham or Abraham rather at the time his name was Abraham. Now he goes right to talk about Abraham because Abraham is the son of um, Terah through whom the genealogy of the Christ, the Messiah will flow. So he wastes no time to talk about Nahor and Aran and uh, his other brothers. He step right in to talk about Abraham because that's the prime person. Right? So we see him doing that throughout the book. He mentions a genealogical record and he picks out the person through whom the, 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 the Messiah comes and he highlights that person. Because what he's showing you is a genealogical record and lineage of Israel. That's why I say to you that Genesis is a conception of the nation of Israel. Now, does this mean that God isolates Israel and forgets about any other nation? In no way so, my friends. This goes to show that God is concerned with every other nation as well. Why? I see evidence of God's care for other nations in the story of, the, of Joshua. Where Joshua went into Canaan to conquer these nations and took over the land. Why I know? Because God will never judge a nation unless he has given his message to that nation. These nations were judged because of their refusal to worship God and they worship idols instead. And they got so evil and vile that God had to get rid of them. And God does not take that action without having given opportunity for repentance. And you might say, oh, were they supposed to know about God? Let me show you. Remember, Shem, Am, and Japheth. It's by these three sons that the entire earth was populated by the various nations. Every nation came from Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth, we know, went north, which we know is Europe. Ham went south, which is down in Africa. And Shem stayed in the, in the Middle East there. So Shem, it's from him that those nations come from. Ham, the nations down south. Japheth, the nations up north. All three brothers. Now, you have to look at who these men father was. It was Noah. Noah spent 120 years preaching the message to a world that was vile and evil. Preaching the message of repentance and coming to worship God. And nobody converted to his message. But his three sons and their wives abide by what their father taught and how their father taught them. They were in included in the ark because they were living by what their the father preached. That was what it shows. By the fact that God included them, those were his only converts, the only persons among the people that was inhabiting the earth who were worshiping God and abiding by God. And so God saved them. So these are the three men who went out and populated the earth. But don't you think that having had a father who was so faithful and so righteous about his lifestyle, don't you think that would have impacted them seriously? Don't you think that having witnessed the judgment of God on the nations themselves, their very own eyes, don't you think that would have impacted their lives? Having seen how God rescued them and what the flood did to the earth and seeing what God did to them after that, 
Wouldn't that have impacted on their lives? Of course it would have. So they would have taught that to their children. So every nation of the earth had an origin in God, in the worship of God. But they corrupted that worship of God as they multiplied across the earth. They corrupted it. They turned to other things and they created other systems of religion. And so God was upset with them. It, it would have meant that there would have been somebody in each of those nations, a man of God, a voice of God, who was bellowing that message and crying out to these people to repent and to come serve God. There would have been witnesses. There would have been persons because God as a man in every nation. God as a man, or I should say God of a seed or a people or a remnant in every nation. So I believe that it would have had their message being bellowed to them. And I know by virtue of this, that God has a heart for the nation. Because he shows you how every one of them began, not just one. But out of all the nations, he chose one to be his voice. He chose one to be his instrument. He chose one to be his. We see him do that throughout. And in Israel, he chose a tribe to be his, the Levites. And out of the Levite tribe, he chose a family to be his. Aaron, the family of Aaron, to be the priesthood or the high priest. So you have to understand, my friends, that God, this is how God operates. This is how God does his thing. He has the, 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 the total, but then he takes a tithe of the total. The tithe belongs to God. The first fruit belongs to God. It is his. The first fruit of a nation is Israel. The first fruit of Israel is the Levites. The first fruits of the Levites is Aaron. And that's how God does his thing. So therefore, my friends, the message of Genesis is, is, is numerous. But I want you to see that this is what Genesis is all about. The beginning of the nations, but in more specificity, the beginning of the nation of Israel. As we go to chapter 1 in our next episode... I look forward to once more unveiling the truth of this book. To once more unveil to you the truth of God's word. Join me in one next episode as we look once more into the word of God. The fear of Jehovah is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. It is my hope that through these studies... It will bring you a full understanding of the Word of God. But I implore you to lean on the Holy Spirit who will take the words that you hear, the words we share, and He will illuminate them to your heart and mind. He will relate them to your life and He will show you the secrets that, that it contains. I may not be able to show you everything there is, but the Holy Spirit can make these words practical to you as he reveals to you the secret things of the word of God. Lean on him today and let the Holy Spirit guide you as you go through these studies with us. Father, we thank you for your loving kindness. Your tender mercies to us, Lord, Father, the word says they are great. Great is your faithfulness also. We take time, O oh Lord, to give you thanks for this day, to give you thanks for life you have given and the blessings you have poured out upon our lives. Today we ask you, Lord, to illuminate your words to our hearts and minds. 
that Lord, as we receive your words, your Holy Spirit will take that word and minister it to our hearts and our minds. And as we come to a fuller understanding of your words, we'll find, Lord, that we are able to live it in a fuller way. That our lives begin to manifest your word and manifest you. Let everything about us become that which your word declares. Let our lives become a declaration of your word as we seek to bring glory to your name, as we work with you to establish your kingdom here on this earth. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day now, my friends. And do remember that God loves you, and I do too. Shalom. Shalom.